Well, good morning. My name is Tim. I'm the pastor here at Phoenix Bible Church. If you're new with us, uh, so glad that you've joined us this morning. So glad that we get to worship together and, and look at God's word, which is what we're going to do here in a second. And as you watch that video, it really summarizes a lot of the series we've been in over the last four weeks. We've been in a series called We Are PBC, and we're talking about the church, how, how we are the church, that the church is, is more than a place you go to. It's a people you belong to. And so we've looked at the church as the people of God who, who proclaim the word of God in the world. And we, we don't just proclaim it, we practice it together as a people. And so as you think about church, maybe you're new to church. If this is your first Sunday, we love it that you're here, that we see in the Bible that the church is the body of Christ, the family of God, the fellowship of the spirit. And what you don't see is that the church is an institution or an organization primarily or even a place or a building, but it's God's people and he's working through Him, through them to build them up in Christ. And so it's this amazing thing that, that you and I, if you know Jesus, you get to be a part of. If you, if you don't know Jesus, again, we love it that you are here. We want you to believe in Jesus and be a part of some of those things you just saw on the screen, this church, this family that God is building. And as we've looked at this over the last few weeks, we, we've done name tags and we've done a photo booth in the, in the lobby just to celebrate and to emphasize this fact of, of we are the church because we often forget that. And what we said as well, we don't want to just talk about us, talk about the church. We want to hear from the church. So we've gotten to hear from people in our church. We're going to do that again today. Excited uh, for you to hear from my friends Nyan and Jill this morning as we get going. Nyan and Jill, would you guys come up? Would you guys welcome them as they come up? What I love about Nyan and Jill is uh, we've, gotten to have, we've gotten to have these guys in our house over the last uh, few months for dinner and just gotten to know these guys and just they have a desire to grow in their faith, to grow with one another. I'll let them tell you more about that. Uh, why don't you guys start us off with just what's God doing in your life? How did you come to Phoenix? What do you do for a living? All those things. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm Jill. Um, I came to Phoenix for a job and we're both ballet dancers with Ballet Arizona um, and I've been dancing here in Phoenix for about 10 years. Awesome. Yeah, my name is Nayam. Um, I'm from Brazil originally. I came to United States 10 years ago. Um, I came to Washington, D.C. first, and then I transferred myself to Arizona. Uh, job opportunity, you know, ballet. And, yeah, we're here now. <laughs> you can keep that. Okay. That's yours. Just hold on to that. Well, uh, what I love, what they may not share, is Nyan and Jill, the first time I actually saw them, they'd been coming to our church for a little while, but my wife and I were given tickets to the ballet, and it was Romeo and Juliet, and guess who played Romeo and Juliet? These guys. And, and guess who's officiating their wedding in October? This guy. And so as a pastor thinks about material for an, a wedding, uh, I have plenty of it with Romeo and Juliet, so it's going to be a lot of fun, and thank you for giving me the honor to, to officiate your wedding. Uh, what, as far as church goes, you guys have been here, I think, since maybe the fall, September? Yeah. What, before that, what was your experience with the church, with Jesus? Why don't you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so my experience in Brazil actually wasn't very good. The church we went to, there was some corruption going on, and that kind of pushed me away, you know. So when I came to the United States, I really didn't have God a part of my life, you know. And actually, if I, if I haven't met Jill, I don't think I'll ever have given a chance to God again, you know, and... After my, my mom passed away from cancer, you know, I, I shut down completely. And since I started coming to this church, I feel like I started opening myself more. And actually with this series, We Pray First, that's when I felt like I really gave 
attention to God, like realizing that alone I just can't do it. It's mm, good. Um, yeah, I I grew up my whole life going to church and learning about about God. Um, so I you know I always knew Jesus, but um, I didn't really know him here or love him or really recognize my my very real need for him until later on, maybe about five years ago or so, became more real for me. So. So a lot of people have those stories, different stories before they came into the church. What helped you guys? Because now you're here, right? And you're growing and you're not perfect, right? But you're trying to figure this thing out. You're getting married and all those things. What helped you guys take those steps and connect? You said it was a series. Was there any like moment or person that could help these guys connect as well with the church? I feel it was mostly like myself just blocking and not wanting to, you know, allow allow my eyes to see the, the glory of God everywhere, you know. There's just so many miracles in our lives, you know, and just sometimes it's so easy to just focus on the small issues, you know, when there's miracles all over the place. You just have to, you know, open your eyes to see the glory of God everywhere. We are uh, going through premarital counseling with you guys. Maybe some of you who are married have, have been there and done that. And so we get to talk about once a month, uh, things like conflict and finances and sex and in-laws, right? It's a lot of fun to, to talk about all those things that they're going to be stepping into in marriage. And I feel like every week, uh, you guys, they open up a little bit more and they talk a little bit more about what God's doing and how he's preparing them for this next step. And uh, we're excited for you guys, excited for your marriage, excited for the Phoenix Ballet, right, guys? Come on. <laughs> Go to the Phoenix Ballet, support these guys, Yeah. They do a fantastic job. We love it that you guys are here. Thanks for sharing. I know it's hard to get up here and do that. Uh, but you guys, uh, just appreciate you being vulnerable and honest with us. And, and thanks for sharing your story. Would you guys thank them? Thanks, guys. You can take that back. Well, it's so encouraging to see Jesus build his church. Amen? Uh, Jesus is building his church. And again, it's the people, these people that you just heard from, that the strength of churches the strength of our church is not in a stage or a structure or a service. It's in the substance of the people, of the people you just heard from, the people that are sitting in these rows and represented today, what God is doing in us and through us and around us. And I'm excited that we get to talk about that today as we close out this series. And today we're going to talk about the potential of God's people, the potential of the church. And the Bible has a lot to say about the potential of the church. In Ephesians, we see the church described as the manifold wisdom of God. It's the brilliance of God put on display. Now, you may not feel like that in your life or today as we meet together, but that's what God says about you. That it's the manifold wisdom of God. Uh, Jesus says this about the church. He says, it's the light of the world, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That the church is a power, it's a force that God is using for good in the world to draw all people to himself. That that's what the potential of the church is according to scripture. And as we come to Acts chapter 11 this morning, we see some of this begin to happen. So I just want to look briefly at how God brings this about and see how it applies to us today. Again, uh, Brad said it, grab a Bible, follow along, look up on your app, Acts chapter 11. Our first point is going to be this, if you're taking notes, that there's purpose over pain. There's purpose over pain as we fulfill God's potential in the church. And you need to know as we start this point that this rubs against, this confronts every instinct that you and I have today, right? So as you listen to this, there's going to be times where you're like, I don't like that, right? I don't like 
the reality of pain and knowing that there's purpose through that because we don't like pain and we're drawn to comfort. And you just need to know that as we get started with our first point. You guys got that? Okay. So that's our first point. We see it in the, in the verse 19. Look at that with me. You see believers in Jesus who are scattered. They're scattered because of persecution over a specific person. That person's name is Stephen. Stephen was the first known martyr of the Christian faith, meaning he was killed simply because he believed in Jesus. That happened earlier in the book of Acts. And as that began to happen, that was really the first domino to fall, and more persecution began to rise up against the church. And so people had to scatter and fear for their lives. And they scatter to some different places. We see them here, Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch. And Antioch is the focus of this passage. And so I want to tell you a little bit about this city. It was the third greatest city in the Roman Empire. And so think uh, New York, L.A., and then like Chicago. Antioch would have been like Chicago, a big city, very influential city, uh, a city of business and commerce, but also a city of a lot of immorality, And so as you look at scripture, and especially the early church, you see it start in Jerusalem. And as you think about the city of Jerusalem, you should think about a religious city. As you look at the city of Antioch, you should think more about a a business, an urban city that has a lot of different cultures, a lot of diversity, and a lot of, of sin. All right, and so that's where these believers are scattered to because of persecution. It's a lot like Phoenix, right? I don't talk to a lot of people who dreamed of coming to Phoenix, right? You just ended up here. Even though you should dream of coming to Phoenix because it's a great city, right? A lot of your stories are, well, this happened and this job and this family thing, and now I'm, I'm here, right? Even these guys were like, now we're here. And so a lot of us have this story. Phoenix is a big city with a lot of business and commerce and a lot of sin, right? So very similar context to our context today as they show up in Antioch. Now, here's what's interesting. Antioch is about 300 miles north of Jerusalem, And so as you think about Acts 1-8, remember Acts 1-8 a few weeks ago, that Jesus gives this mission to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, that's where they were, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so as we show up in Antioch, in Acts chapter 11, Antioch is beyond Judea, it's beyond Samaria, it would have been the start of, for them, the ends of the earth. It's 300 miles north of Jerusalem, that's a long trek on a donkey, right? Right? And so they're far away from home, and what's neat about this is we're beginning to see the potential of the church. The early church is beginning to fulfill this mission, Acts 1-8, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. As they show up in Antioch, because of persecution, you're beginning to see Jesus' mission fulfilled. And so how do they show up there? Is it a a cute plan? Is it an elaborate strategy? Did they pull out the maps and say, this is how we're going to victoriously make our conquest to share the name of Jesus? Is that how they ended up fulfilling Jesus' mission? No. They ended up fulfilling Jesus' mission because of pain. Again, this works against everything we feel instinctively. That God uses pain to bring about his purposes. We see it in the early church. We see it in our lives. That sometimes God will bring pain in your life, not as an obstacle to mission, but as an opportunity for it. For the believer, for the church, pain isn't always an obstacle to mission. That it's sometimes the opportunity for it to occur. That I don't know how these people would have ended up in Antioch if Stephen hadn't been martyred, if they hadn't been scattered because of persecution. 
I don't know if they would have had the plans or the strategies to think, let's go to the, the third biggest city in the Roman Empire. That would be a strategic spot to really build the church and grow the church and expand the gospel. I don't know, but God brought them there through pain. I've seen this in my life. We came to Phoenix with a large church with great plans. Uh, some of you know that story. And three months in, that was all taken away from us personally and as a church. And, and we were left wondering, God, what are you doing? There was some pain associated with that. But then we begin to realize that that pain brought us here. And that pain gave us a purpose to start Phoenix Bible Church. And in October, we're going to celebrate three years of God's faithfulness in and through Phoenix Bible Church, a new, new church in the city of Phoenix. And listen, I don't know if we would be here right now smiling at one another, right? Some of you guys are smiling at me. Like, thank you for that. I don't know if we would be here right now if God hadn't brought that pain initially in our lives, that God did in the early church, that God does in my life, in your life, he brings about pain to further his purposes. And we can't always see it at the time, but he's working it out in his sovereign plan, and we can trust him. A lot of people that know what we are doing, uh, church planting, will come along and ask us, usually people from out of town, family, friends, and they'll, they'll ask me, how's it going? Right? They'll kind of use that whisper voice. And they'll ask, like, how are Jay and the kids doing? Are they okay? And, and I think they whisper because they're scared of the answer, right? <laughs> they're wondering, like, man, how bad is it, right? And, and the, the truth is, and you need to know this as your pastor, I love being here. I love what we're doing. I love you. And, and listen, it's definitely not because it's easy. Don't get me wrong. There have been hardship after hardship over these last three years, and there will continue to be. I love that we are here, not because it's easy, but because we're fulfilling God's purposes. That when we lay in bed at night, and my wife and I talk about our lives, and we do talk about the tension, we do talk about the wins and the victories, that we talk about that and we dream about what this could continue to be because we're fulfilling God's purposes in our lives, and that gives us peace and joy even in the midst of pain. Right? But this is against our instinct, isn't it? Like some of you guys have experienced hardship. Maybe you're going through difficulty right now in your job and relationships, maybe in the church. And what typically happens is when we experience that pain, what do we do? We shrink back, right? Sometimes we, we quit. And we say, well, this pain, I mean, God, why would you have me here this doesn't correspond with, with what I think should be your plan or your purposes because it shouldn't be this hard. Have you ever said that? Like this relationship, this marriage, this friendship, I don't know if it should be this hard all the time. It shouldn't be this much pain. This job, I mean, it shouldn't be this difficult every week. This church, I mean, relationships are messy and, and we meet in a school. Like, I don't know if it should be this hard. Like, maybe I'll shrink back or maybe I'll quit. And the danger, listen, the danger when we do that is we miss out on God's purposes in our lives. That God's using that pain to play out his purposes. And if you'll stick with it, you'll begin to see that in your life. And we'll begin to reach our potential as a church. Some of you who are new are thinking, you're not selling me on this, Tim. Right? I mean, this is a sermon on the potential of the church. It's not very inspiring. Right? I don't want to sign up for pain. And here's what you need to know. And oftentimes we don't really realize this, but that you'll still have pain without Jesus in the church. 
It's not going anywhere in your relationships, in your job, in your family. That pain will still be there. It will just be devoid of purpose, right? But with Jesus and with the church, the people of God, that pain will be there, but it will be redeemed for God's glory and your joy. And God will begin to work his purposes out in your lives and in our church. That's the way he does it. That brings us to our second point, that if we're going to fulfill the purpose of the church, the potential of the church, we're going to see people over preference. So there's purpose over pain. There's people over preference. Verse 20 through 21, look at those verses with me. At the end of verse 19, it says they were spreading the gospel, the word, to Jews only, But in this verse, verse 20, it expands to Hellenists. Uh, These were Gentiles or or Greeks. Maybe you've heard those terms before. They were the people that weren't the Jews, that weren't the chosen nation of Israel, weren't the Hebrew people. And so the word starts with the Jews only, and then it begins to spread to the Hellenists. Now, maybe that doesn't strike you, but it should, because it would have for these guys in this day that the people who were scattered to Antioch, they were Jewish believers, And for them, part of their habits and and tradition was just to go to other Jewish believers, right? Because that was comfortable for them, because they were religious. The Jews were religious, they were like them, and they were chosen. And so you got to put yourself in their shoes that if if they would have believed in Jesus as Jews, they were wanting to go to people just like them and say, "Here's, here's Jesus, and let me tell you about him, because that was comfortable for them. That was their preference, because there was a lot of differences for the Gentiles, that the Gentiles were, were not religious. Right? They were pagan. They were different than them. And so even as they were scattered to Antioch, where a lot of Gentiles are, they still began to huddle up for themselves because that was comfortable because that was their preference. But I love this, verse 20. Look at that verse with me. It says, but there were some of them. You need to underline that, highlight that, but there were some of them. You see, a few people decided to bust up this cultural norm. And they began reaching outside of their comfort zone of Jews only, and they began to talk to these Greeks, to these Gentiles, to these pagan people. That was profound for them to do. That was busting up the cultural norm. That's why there's this transition, but there were some of them. In verse 21, God honors this, this this going out to the Gentiles, and it says a great number of people believe. You see, with God, people outweigh preference every single time, That the goal of God is not a a specific type of person. The goal is, is people in general, that he's trying to draw people to himself. And in the process, he's gonna break down our preferences. He's gonna bust up cultural norms, and he's been doing it since the very beginning. All right, now, as we look at this, maybe, again, you can't relate too well because you think Jew versus Gentile. Like, I love the Gentiles. Well, well, newsflash, you are a Gentile, right? So, of course, you love the Gentiles. Maybe some of you are Jewish and welcome. We love it that you are here. But I, I would bet for a lot of you, your preferences don't divide over Jew and Gentile, right? But we got our own, don't we? And we got black and white. We got Republican and Democrat. We got tatted up and not tatted up. When we got CrossFit people and then we have normal people. <laughs> we, we got our own set of preferences that divide us, that, that we look at and we say, I don't know if I'm comfortable with you or I don't know if I'm drawn to you. And we kind of huddle up in our own preferences, don't we? That's what's taking place here. 
But it took a few people, but there were some of them, to bust up that cultural norm and say, I'm going to reach across the aisle. I'm going to get a, a little bit uncomfortable for the cause of Christ. And I'm going to go to some people who are different than me because people over preference. Listen, as we look at that in our church, my prayer, my hope for our church is that it would be said of us, but there were some of them. That with all of our preferences and issues in Phoenix, because we have them in our greater area, that all the preferences of ethnicities and, and music style and, and culture and demographics and neighborhoods and, and, and the way we dress and our, our terminology that we use, that, that it would be said of us in, in the midst of all of that, but there were some of them at Phoenix Bible Church who crossed over the aisle and said, I'm not going to choose a preference. I'm going to choose a person, and I'm going to love people and point them to Jesus because we want all people to know Jesus in the city of Phoenix and to be changed for eternity by Jesus. Listen, if we're going to fulfill our potential as the church, as a church, it will be because it's, there's some of them that don't follow the crowd, that don't follow the preference, that reach across the aisle to people who are different than them. And the reality is, we look at that, it's difficult to do that, isn't it? Like, even as we walked in here this morning, a lot of us are hanging on to our preferences. And so what a lot of us did is, is we talked to people who were like us, who we already knew. And we saw some people that we didn't know and maybe who looked different than us. And we thought, maybe I should go talk to them, but that could be awkward. And I get nervous around people. And maybe some of you are thinking right now, like, Tim, I'm not extroverted. Like, you got the wrong guy. I can't do this. Like, I love all people. It's not, it's not that. I just, I just don't know if I can reach across that aisle. I don't know if I can do that. Well, you need to look at these people who did this. Like, who were these people? But there were some of them. Who are these people? Look at the text with me. Verse 20. We don't even get their names. It literally just says they were men of Cyprus and Cyrene. There were some men from a place. So it's not Paul, it's not Barnabas that we're going to be introduced to in a second. These aren't a special class of believers. These aren't apostles. These aren't prophets who muster up the courage, who are eloquent enough to reach across, to, to step into this new territory of, of spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ to, to Gentiles. It's not apostles or prophets or special class of believers. It's men of Cyprus and Cyrene. These were ordinary people used extraordinarily by God because they chose people over preference. Can we just be honest for a second? This is hard to do. But God, if you have believed in Jesus, he's given you his Holy Spirit just like he gave these men of Cyprus and Cyrene. The same Holy Spirit was given to them, the same Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead is working now in you. The same church that started then, you are a part of, and we can, no matter if you're extroverted or introverted, no matter if you're eloquent or you stumble over your words, you can step across the aisle to somebody and you can point them to Jesus and you can continue this, this spreading the word, the gospel of Jesus Christ to other people who aren't like you. And then it can be said of you and us as we continue as a church, but there were some of them. Phoenix Bible Church rising up in this city to break down preferences, to bust up cultural norms, to show people Jesus. That's what we want to be known for, amen? 
That's what we want to walk in and and breathe in and out every week and and challenge ourselves by the power of the Spirit to live like that, to be a church like that, to reach our potential like that. Because the reality is if we don't get out in front of this, if we value preference over people, listen, we're going to hate heaven. We're going to be miserable in heaven for eternity. Because Revelation chapter 7 says this, that every tribe, tongue, and nation will be in heaven. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation will all be in heaven together. It's going to be like a big family potluck, right? All kinds of different music, all kinds of different people sitting before, standing before the throne of Jesus, worshiping him together for eternity. And people won't look the same, and they won't act the same, and they won't have the same preferences, but they'll be the people of God joined together. And so we got to get ahead of this. we got to start practicing now for heaven. Because this is what it's going to be like. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation. It's people over preference. Our third point is that it's partnership over pride. Look at verses 22 through 26. We see that the church in Jerusalem hears about what's going on with this church in Antioch, with these people that are, that are rising up. And they sent a guy named Barnabas. He was part of the first church earlier in the book of Acts. His name, Barnabas, means son of encouragement. And he does some of that in this passage. He, he goes out from Jerusalem, from the church there, to the church in Antioch. And he begins to encourage, exhort these people to, to stay the course, to stay faithful to their purpose, even though there's pain. And he, he encourages and he leads people. And what you see happen is this partnership with churches. The church, the first church in Jerusalem, begins to partner with this church 300 miles north in Antioch that's reaching a bunch of Gentiles. Scandalous, right? And these churches partner together, and it's, it's beautiful. And it's, it's what happens in the early church as, as God begins to see them reach their potential. But it doesn't stop there. In verse 25, look at that verse. Barnabas goes and grabs Saul, later named Paul, who wrote two-thirds of our New Testament. They come back together to be with and train up the church. And you see this partnership between people. So you have a partnership between churches. You have a partnership that occurs between people. And what they do is they check their pride at the door. They don't, they don't think, well, our church is really great in Jerusalem. Like, you guys are reaching those heathens in, in uh, Antioch. Like, I don't know if we, can, if we can partner with you. Like, I don't know if God's really doing something, even though there's all these people being added. Like, we kind of started this thing, and, and we were here first, right? And, and you guys are in the big city, and we're over here. You know, they didn't let all those prideful things get in the way of partnership. They didn't let comparing Barnabas and Saul. Didn't let comparing and Barnabas thinking, man, Saul... Just met Jesus in Acts chapter 9. The dude is gifted. Barnabas knew that. That's why he goes to all this trouble to go find Paul and say, help, help me lead this thing. Partner with me in this church in Antioch. And he very much could have been like, you know, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know if I want to bring Saul in. He's going to become Paul. He's going to be amazing, right? Like, I don't know if I'm that amazing. He didn't let that comparing and competing dictate things. He let partnership define the church. And that's what's going to define our church. That's what's going to help our church reach our potential as well. And by the way, verse 26, it tells us that this first group of people are the people who are referred to as Christians, people who belong to Christ, that their behavior and their activity literally begin to look like Christ. Listen, it's no accident that that happens as we see this partnership because that is unique. 
Like our tendency is to go at this alone, isn't it? Our tendency, all of us do this, I do this, is to compare and compete, not partner. And it's no accident that the first time these people are called Christians, people who are like Christ, they're doing this thing together and not alone. And so we are the church, not I, not them over there. We, us, as we partner together, as we partner with other churches like we do with Desert Springs Bible Church, a church who's 40 years old, partnering with a church who's three years old, and downtown Phoenix, a church... Churches in suburbia who's partnering with a church in, in downtown Phoenix. And we partner and we do things together for the greater good, for the greater kingdom. And so we, we partner. We are the church. And so here's what that means. We can celebrate others, not compare ourselves to others. Other churches that, that are growing, that have lots of people meeting Jesus, that are 40 years into this thing, that do have a building, that do have a staff, right? I'm confessing to you right now. I compare myself, and I'm just like, man, I want, I want those things, and why do they get to have that? And they, this church over here, like not Desert Springs, but this church over here, they don't even preach the gospel. Like, why do they have a building? And, and I compare, and I compete. And you need to know where we can, where people do believe the gospel, we always want to partner because we are the church, and it's not just PBC. It's every church in the valley and every church in the world. We're a part of something bigger. It's a movement. The same happens in this room. We, we partner with one another. There's no, I'm doing my thing or my team or my ministry or my community group. No, we celebrate, we equip, we empower others because we're part of the same church, because we want to partner together. Because if we're going to reach our potential as a church, it won't be alone. It will be together. That's what marked the first Christians, and that's what should mark us. And so as we talk about the potential for our church, for this church, for Phoenix Bible Church, whatever that is going to be for us, it will be together. And so if this is your first Sunday, welcome. If you're new to the faith, welcome. If you've been here since the beginning, welcome. What we invite you into is to belong and to build the church together, that we would partner together to do that. That's what we see in the early church. That's what we want to see in our church. And I'm going to give you just a few ways in this next season that we want to see that happen. We're gearing up for the fall. I know it doesn't seem like fall in Phoenix because it's so hot. Right? Most places are gearing up for the fall, and it's like it's a little bit cooler, and I see some different color leaves. Not Phoenix, right? But we are gearing up for the fall. Most people are going back to school. I know our kids start school next week. College students are coming back. Most of you guys that took summer vacations are here now and are coming back in the next few weeks. And so as we gear up for the fall, it's a great time to partner. And so I want to let you know a little bit about what's coming up so you can do that. Uh, next week, we are, before we start a new series, going to have a sermon, just a one-off on the next generation and investing into the next generation. And we're doing this. Uh, for a few reasons. One, because we are going into the fall and because we have a lot of parents of young kids in here and kids that are going back to school and there's challenges associated with that. We have kids that used to be little who are big now, right? You're like, how did they grow so fast? Like that's starting to happen because we're three years old as a church. So some of these babies are now toddlers. Some of these toddlers like mine are now in third grade and it's scary, Right? Because they come home and they talk about the newest Taylor Swift song that they've heard and, and how they want to shake it off. And I don't even know what that means or, 
Or if she wants to know what that means, and, and maybe that's not a recent song, so maybe I just dated myself. But, like, there's all these things that come up, right, as parents. Parents, can I get an amen for that? It's a hard thing. It's the hardest thing I've ever done. And so we want to talk about, as we go into a new semester, as a lot of kids are transitioning, how do we do this? How do we invest into the next generation? And if you're single and you're thinking, well, I'm not coming next Sunday, or I'm going to check out and look at my phone, you don't need to. Because all of us should care about the next generation. Who's coming up after us? What challenges do they have that we had no clue about when we were growing up? What world are they growing up in where they, they, social media from day one, where, where everything's digitized and everything's immediate, day one, where that's all they know? What does that look like? Who are we becoming as the world, as the people of God? You should care about the next generation, so we're going to talk about that next Sunday. Along those same lines, we want to take steps, baby steps, to start a student ministry. Again, some of our kids that were kids are now becoming students, and they're getting older. And we just have a few of those. And so our, our wrestle has been like, how do we start something when there's just like five of them? You know, what do we, what do, we do? And really, we want to start it like we planted the church. I will start with what we have and build that and, and use that to draw other people into that process. And so the reality is we have families that come here that have older kids, and we have nothing for them other than sit in the service and, and try to get them to pay attention, Right? And so we want to take baby steps. We're not launching anything. That's not happening. But we want to take baby steps towards pulling together the students we have, doing a once-a-month event, seeing if there's a way we can do something on Sundays, even if it's not every Sunday, starting somewhere. And so we have a guy in our church, a dad who has a student who feels led in this area. And we're talking about what is this going to look like? What challenges are presented with our space and everything else that goes into this? But we need your help with this, right? As we begin to draw other families that we don't even have yet in the fall, we need your help with this. One of the ways you can help with this is start serving in kids' ministry so you can release this guy who is serving in kids' ministry who wants to work with students and enable him to do that. So you can serve in kids, you can serve with students, and we want to start a semblance of that as we talk about investing into the next generation as a church. We are going to start a new series on August 20th, that's in two weeks, on the Sermon on the Mount the most famous sermon in the Bible that Jesus preached that describes Christianity and what we're supposed to do and be as believers in Jesus. Matthew 5 through Matthew 7. We're going to go through the whole fall. We're going to go through those three chapters. And really excited about this. October 1st, uh, a friend of mine named Dr. Steve Tracy from Phoenix Seminary. He's an author uh, on a lot of topics in regard to sexuality. And he's going to come as we hit the topic of sexuality in the Sermon on the Mount. He's going to come on October 1st to preach on this topic. And again, he's writ written a lot about this, studied a lot about the challenges in our day of this. And so October 1st, again, just keep that in the back of your mind. Really excited for that to come. Uh, August 20th, as we start this new series as well, we have a back-to-school bash for our kids' ministry. We have church lunch that day at Angel's Trumpet, an opportunity for us to connect with one another. The next Sunday, August 27th, we have PBCPM, a welcome back for our college students as they start their semester that night. Uh, we are going to start a women's event monthly out of our first Peter study. Some of you women experienced that this summer, and they just talked about what if we did something once a month and just kind of casual or an event to connect as women. So we're going to do that this semester. Our men, we got something for you guys. We're going to go camping because that's manly, I think. 
And so we're going to go camping and, and have a time of connection at the end of September and equipping for our men and hopefully see that work itself out into more things like that. We're going to go to Rocky Point again. Uh, we had a team take our first ever short-term mission trip as a church to Rocky Point, Mexico in the spring. We're going back in the fall, again, through our partnership with Desert Springs Bible Church. And so we invite you to, to mark that on your calendar. It's going to be in the month of November and participate in that. Uh, we have our community groups that are ongoing, serving, that's ongoing on Sundays. Unite Phoenix, the second Saturday of every month that some of you guys participate in where we serve our city. And discipleship. We want you guys to get together in one-on-one, two-on-two relationships to go through scripture together. That's always an opportunity to get involved. And so as we think about partnership, as we think about being these kinds of people who, who don't let preference, who don't let um, pride get in the way of this church and what God is building here and what he's building in your life, these are some ways you can step out and participate in this. Here's a few more ways specifically that you can begin to pray for in regard to our church. Uh, we are in this fall, more organizationally, going to begin an elder training process with a few guys that have shown interest in that, that, that have served for a long time and led in that. Uh, if you're new to the Bible or new to the faith, elders or pastors, uh, they're who God's gifted and equipped to lead the church. And so we need to raise up more pastors and elders, and we have a desire to do that. And we think it's time to start that with a few guys to, to say, hey, we're going to head towards that intentionally and formally with a few people to help lead and shepherd and care for this church. That's exciting, isn't it? To see God raise up men in our church to, to lead and care for and equip the saints for ministry as we see in Ephesians 4, chapter 11. So you can pray for that. That's a big deal. You can pray for that. We want to make our first staff hire in the near future. We've, we've been able to save up some reserves financially and, and do things kind of lean so that possibly we could bring on another staff hire. Again, if you're new, I'm the only staff pastor. We stipend a couple of people, our worship leader and our kids ministry director, but we want to bring on somebody else who can really multiply what we're doing in terms of ministry. That, that even with just 100 or 130 or so people, that it's a, it's a lot for one person. And so we want to expand that and care for you better and start some of these things that we're trying to start and be more effective in fulfilling our potential as a church. So we're looking to do that. I don't know when that's going to happen. I don't have details for you. But we're just looking for that to see if God would open that door. The last thing is just looking for a 24-7 lease. Um, again, you, you see it. We set up and tear down this place every single Sunday, and um, that takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of effort. In addition, uh, we don't have a presence here throughout the week, and so if we're going to do things, it's in somebody's home. Right? If we're going to do things, it's always right after church because that's the only opportunity we have for this space. And if we were to do anything else, we have to set up everything and tear it down again. And that's limiting, right? We want to free up you and free up our people to serve and impact people in more ways than just setting up and tearing down every Sunday. And so, again, we're looking, right? We're, we're just seeing what opportunities may be out there. We're looking a little bit harder, and you can just pray for this. Is There's a, an administration change at ASU Prep. And so I've been talking with them, and, and they've been talking with us about uh, things like our storage and our classrooms and how they want to just diminish some of that, and, and we would just have to figure that out, and we don't know how to figure that out at this point. And so we're looking a little bit harder right now. Uh, but you need to know, and again, just put on clear eyes as you see this, most likely we're going to have to think outside the box, right? We're not buying a property and building, although if you know somebody who's wealthy, 
just give me their contact name. We're, we're probably not doing that. We're probably looking at something like a 24-7 lease that would be an upgrade over this. And so you can pray for that. You can pray that God will reveal something like that. Open up a door, again, in the next six months, in the next year, in the next two years. And we may have to raise money for that to build it out, to make it a church, because it may be a warehouse or an office space or an industrial building. We're going to have to think outside the box, right? And so be praying for that. Be praying for our relationship with ASU Prep, that, that God would give us favor with them, that we could work things out and bless them as a school and continue to meet here until we figure something out for the long term. Will you guys pray for that? Uh, these are some ways you can be praying as we enter into this next season as a church. As we look back at this passage, uh, three times in this passage, it says there was a great number being added. There was a great number joining the family of God. God was doing amazing things in and through the church. And you need to know it wasn't void of obstacles. Like they had pain, they had preferences, and they had pride. And what we are going to do as a church is we see people added to our number and grow as a church, we're going to see obstacles. Right, everything I just said, even for you right now, as you consider being involved in that and praying or giving or, or stepping out and serving, there's obstacles, right? There's obstacles in your stage of life. There's obstacles with finances. There's obstacles with relationships. There's obstacles with personalities. There's obstacles with pride. There's going to be obstacles, but Jesus will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, that he will begin to add numbers to us and add people that we're able to influence for his glory and our joy. Not because there's not obstacles, but because this is his purpose, this is his mission, and he will fulfill it in and through us. I told you guys last Sunday about my aunt who had passed away, and we had to go to the funeral and the visitation in East Texas, deep East Texas, in the pine trees, and then go over to Shreveport, Louisiana. I don't know if you guys have ever been to either one of those places, but that's where I grew up. And we had to go uh, bury my aunt, and it was sad and sudden, but we also got to celebrate her life. And I shared this with some of you guys, but as we went to the visitation, I don't know if it's been like this for you guys when you've been to a visitation. I've never seen anything like this. Uh, there was a line going around the building to see my aunt and pay their condolences to the family. There was a line going around the building, so much so that some of the older people that were there had to take a seat because they were becoming lightheaded, standing in line for so long waiting to see my aunt, right? And pray for the family and be with the family. And I don't know if you've ever seen that. I wasn't expecting that. They had to extend visitation for an hour and a half. And as we began to sit down with some of those older people and have conversations and talk about my aunt and just say, hey, how did you know my aunt? And somebody would say, well, I started out with her in social work. And she was uh, my first uh, understudy. And, and I began to see God just gave her this heart of compassion and, and how she reached people and influenced lives for Jesus. And we got to hear more stories. Even the next day during the funeral, people shared testimonies of how they, they prayed with her every week in a women's group just for needs in their community. And people began to share testimonies of how, as a so social worker, a lot of things she did were confidential. But people began to share and say, this is how she changed my life. And her husband, it was amazing, her husband would talk about this and say, I didn't even know this person. Right? I didn't even know how she impacted this person. Like, I knew she's my wife, like, she's kind, she loves Jesus, she loves people, but I didn't even know her reach. Right? 
And it was literally one of those moments as my wife and I were sitting in the funeral where it was, the, the word is fitting, it was unbelievable, right? It was story after story, even to her last day, it was unbelievable her impact that her last day as she was having symptoms of a heart attack, her back was hurting, her chest was hurting, her arm was hurting. As she was doing that and she didn't know the heart attack was coming, she was on the phone with a lady asking how she could pray for her. Literally, as she's having some of these pains, she was across the street in a driveway counseling a woman who had lost her husband a few years back. And it was story upon story, and honestly, it put us to shame. Have you ever been there? Where Jay and I, my wife and I, just look at each other and we're like, what are we doing? <laughs> like, this is crazy. I mean, just the amount of people she influenced. I mean, I, I knew she was a kind lady. She has, even in her intonation of her voice, she's just that soft, kind aunt, Right? I knew some of it, but I had no idea. Her husband had no idea the influence she had. And what you need to know about my aunt is she wasn't an extravagant lady. She wasn't, right? But she knew her purpose, and she loved people, and she locked arms and partnered with others to make Jesus famous and to love people well. You need to know that our church potential doesn't depend on our eloquence. It doesn't depend on our stature. It doesn't depend on our preferences or personalities. It depends on us being a people who understand God's given us an amazing purpose, and there's going to be pain, and maybe that pain is not just an opposition, but it's an opportunity for the mission, and and there's going to be preferences that God's going to begin to to crush in our lives, in your life, and we're going to reach people and love people just because they're, they're people God has placed in our lives. And God's going to begin to crush our pride, and he's going to set up partnerships with us, with people we may not know that well. And he's going to bring people alongside to pray for one another, to serve with one another, to proclaim the word, the gospel of Jesus Christ, to other people that need to know him. So as I think about my aunt, as I think about your life, as I think about our church, my dream, my prayer is that we would see that image we saw at that visitation, that there would be a line of people around the building, a line of people around Phoenix that would say, I've been impacted, but there were some of them. I've been impacted by these. There were some of them who rose up, who began to love Jesus and live like him and lead others to him and didn't allow the obstacles of preferences, pride, or pain to get in the way of that. That's my dream for our church, that we would experience God's potential that there would be a line of people that we have influenced. And I'm not talking about building a bigger church, just so we're on the same page on that. I'm not talking about having a crowd in this room. I'm talking about whether people come here or not, whether they enter these doors or not, that they would be impacted by the love of Jesus that's moving in us and through us to this city that needs Jesus. And there would be a line of those people that could say, I'm thankful that there were some of them at Phoenix Bible Church who reached out to me who lived the gospel in their family's life, who prayed for me, who were the people of God. That's who you are. You may not realize that yet. That may seem scary to you, and you may be thinking right now of the reasons why you're not going to be a part of that. But this is what God has in store for you, for our church, for your family, for your friendships, and it's better than we could ever imagine. It's a better vision than I could ever give you. This is God's vision for Phoenix Bible Church, for the church. Will you step out and be a part of it in this next season?
And let's see what God does. Amen? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for these people that are the church. God, I pray that you would continue to crush the obstacles in our life of preferences, of pride, and pain. That you would do that starting with me. That this is not a finished product for me and it's not for these people. And so we would see your grace in that and we would feel the freedom in that to step into this, to grow into this. And that what we might see happen in our lifetime because we step out and we're the church of Jesus Christ. God, help us. We desperately need it. I pray for these men and women. I pray for their families. I pray blessing over their souls, over their families, over their kids, over their friends who may not know you yet. God, I pray blessing over them and pray that you would use them in mighty ways as you continue to, to grow your church, to build your church, the family of God, the body of Christ, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit that's represented here today. God, use these songs even, use this offering, this communion to mobilize us for mission for your purposes in and through our lives. We, we pray for the city of Phoenix, that there would be more people that love Jesus, that live like him, that lead others to him because of the story of the lives of Phoenix Bible Church. God, we can't do that, but you can. Your promises are sure. Help us to respond. Help us to walk in those promises this morning. It's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen.